Speaking of baseball games, how are you doing with the whole... I know COVID's probably put a damper on your tour, but are you almost done with that tour? I ha- Well, no, it, it, you're right. It has put a very much of a damper on my tour. I have three trips left to do. I have a Southwest trip, a Florida trip, and a Southern California trip. And I haven't been able to do any of it over sure. the last two years. I'm losing a lot of time. So part of me just wants to take a month and do them all. But uh, I'm not really in a rush to go to Florida right now. <laughs> I wouldn't be either. It'll happen. It'll happen at some yeah, point. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and I'm, I'm, it, it's, I'm, I'm ready to be done. You know, in, in a way, like I, I'm, hap- I'm, I'm sad that I lost two years of, of not being able to do it because I want to move on to like doing other things and traveling without an agenda. But uh, yeah, no, I, I can't wait to get back to it. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode two hundred seventy-nine of the matinee cast it's the movie loving podcast on my movie loving website thematinee.ca your home for cinematic passion and perspective you know i am not all that big on nostalgia i believe in respecting the here and now and recognizing that times pass and things change once in a while though you just want to get the band back together or hold a reunion you know the feeling it's familiar it's fun you fall back into the rhythms and for a second or two you see how little time has actually changed you today we are kind of getting the band back together we're bringing in a voice who has helped shape the show and made being a podcaster and podcast listener as much fun as it has been we are direct to minneapolis minnesota one-time head cheese at row3.com and the row3 cinecast andrew james is here how are you man howdy howdy good very good thanks for having me how are you I'm, I'm great. Really, you're just here as vocal talent. I needed to raise the bar a little bit. Like, did, did you ever make a go of that? Like, did you ever, like, use your voice for, like, audiobooks or narration or something? No, you know, I looked into it a little bit, and then I, it just never went anywhere. And uh, I work with a guy now who, who does do that, and his voice is incredible. Like, huh. it just, I get compliments all the time, but he just blows me out of the water, and I realize, ah. Uh, I'm not even in the right league for that. <laughs> I, I still say, you know, if you're, if it, it would beat driving Uber, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a side hustle. Yes. Yep. Some kind of opportunities, but now nah, I haven't gone there. All right. On episode 279, we will be discussing Kimmy. We'll be flipping the record over to play the other side, but first we need to learn more about Andrew. This is know your enemy. Andrew is one of the few eight-time guests, so we are going to take a second and go through this. Andrew first appeared on episode 27. We discussed The Fighter. We learned the first film he ever saw in a theater was Star Wars A New Hope. The last film he'd seen at the time was The Social Network. The worst film he'd ever seen was Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. The unseen classic or essential is Singing in the Rain. I'm sure he's seen it since then. The film he wished he made was 28 Days Later. Andrew returned on episode 73. We talked about killing him softly. We learned the film he digs that nobody else does is The Core. The film everybody else likes that he doesn't is Bridesmaids. The last film to make him cry was 50-50. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Kate Winslet. And the movie he was watching next was something wild. Then Andrew returned on episode 117. We talked about Boyhood. We learned the film that made his love of film turn a corner is A Clockwork Orange. His first date movie is Chances Are. His sick day movie is Jumper. The last film to leave him speechless was Captain Phillips. And his film, quote, epitaph would be from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. 
Then on episode 149, we talked about Star Wars The Force Awakens. We learned that the film he really digs but never wants to watch again is Elephant. The film that genuinely freaked him out is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The film that always makes him laugh is The Birdcage. His favorite movie soundtrack is Pulp Fiction. And the film he loves but seemingly nobody else has heard of is Shinobi Heart Under Blade. Then, and to return on episode 183, we talked about Logan Lucky, another Steven Soderbergh movie to go along with today's discussion. We learned that when he goes to the cinema, he likes to sit, appropriately enough, in the third row. If you could go on a date with any movie character, he would go on a date with Scott Dolan from from Best in Show. The dirtiest movie he's ever seen is 52 Pickup. His favorite black and white film is Dr. Strangelove. And the film he likes but nobody would expect him to like is Transformers 3. Andrew returned on episode 208. We talked about First Man. We learned that in home or in the theater, his movie snack of choice is some sort of energy drink. If he could spend a day in any movie world, he chose the zombie worlds of Dawn of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead, and Night of the Living Dead, any zombie movie where he lives to tell the tale and leave at the end of the day. His favorite good scene in a bad movie is the Thunderdome fight in Mad Max 3 Beyond Thunderdome. The most violent movie he's ever seen is The Passion of the Christ, and a movie monologue he would like to deliver is Independence Day. Finally, on episode 232, we talked about Parasite. We learned if Andrew met a person who had never seen a film before, he would show them The Wizard of Oz. The movie that best embodies his personality is The Clouds of Sils Maria. A movie that he hated on first watch but eventually came to enjoy is American Psycho. The remake or adaptation that he thinks is better than its source material is Stand By Me. And if he could bring back any artist from the dead, the answer is Stanley Kubrick. It is now time for the seldom heard round eight. Andrew, for the love of God, shut me up. If you could sit down to any cinematic meal, and I should say right now that we have put the film Big Night into the penalty box because it has come up so often already. So without Big Night, if you could sit down to any cinematic meal, which would you choose? First, I started thinking about big banquets and and what just would be an amazing meal to have with a bunch of rich people around a big table. And then I decided those aren't as memorable as I as I thought. I, I think that the most memorable ones are the ones that come out of like necessity, a strong desire. It's all about context of right. the movie sure so the food that i would it would it has to be integral to the story and the character and everything um something that i would want to partake in so this is a weird one probably <laughs> but it, it always sticks in my head every time i see it at the end of the d-day invasion in saving private ryan there's a close-up shot of some big thick homemade bread with summer sausage and like fat um cheddar cheese and a steaming cup of hot coffee is that my always meal of choice no of course not but in that moment after what all those guys went through and every time i see it i always go god that looks so good that looks just exactly like what i would want in that moment just a hearty home cooked right off the farm to table meal that is a great answer. And I mean, I've seen that movie so many times that I know exactly the scene you're talking about. Uh, Tom Hanks is Tom, Tom Hanks is basically he's standing there waiting to get his orders for the for the unit to go start searching for Private Ryan. Right. And while while he's standing there looking like he hasn't shaved in about a week and just, you know, he can barely keep his eyes open this unit of officers has obviously like just shown up on the beach and they're shaving with like steaming 
water, steaming hot water. The, yep. the, yeah, the, that coffee looks like it's amazing European coffee coming <laughs> out of like an old fashioned aluminum pot. And those sandwiches are, you know, yeah, the, the bread is like thick as can be. There's cheese on it that's really thick as well. The sausage, it's, it's all really rustic and looking good. And you just like you look at him and he like, you know, he just wants to like dig into all of this. He wants to get off his feet. He wants to shave. He wants to have one of those sandwiches. And what I love about it is you're right. Like they had to make that thing look so tempting, mm-hmm. you know, like, like to show you how it would look through his eyes. And yeah, as, as a guy who appreciates a good sandwich, I'm like, those are some amazing looking sandwiches. Yeah. It's weird. It did that, that, that was what popped into my head at first. So yeah, it's, no, I love that answer. It's all about context. Oh yeah, yeah, because like because that's the thing. Like you know that, like you know that they, they everybody who was eating there, like in that moment, and that probably did take place during the war. That probably tasted like heaven. Oh, exa- for sure. You know they've for been sure. eating. They've been eating the crap they usually been they've been eating for months. So to have something like that would probably just taste off the hook. Well, this could get interesting, Andrew James. What is a movie that reminds you of home? Um. That's that's a tough question. Like like Kurt said when he trailblazed these questions, um, it kind of depends on how what you interpret by reminds you of home. So like I was thinking of movies that remind me of being a kid at home that I watched all like Beastmaster was on every day. So that kind of <laughs> reminds. But the real the real answer and the most probably obvious answer is uh, Fargo, <laughs> and. And it's not just because of the crazy accents that everybody, but it's everything in that movie. If if I if I move to Europe for ten years and I throw on Fargo, I will be instantly transported home. It's it's every shot in that movie from the from the countryside of the long endless fence posts in the snow to the the cityscape of Minneapolis as they drive in the the suburbs. Um, the, the the embers that he constantly goes to that was literally a mile from my girlfriend in high school's house so we went there all the time like um there's this big yellow flags that marge gunderson has a sandwich under in in her patrol car every time i watch that it just reminds me of home the people in it i know a lot of those people <laughs> like the there's a scene um I don't know. It's probably about two thirds of the way through the movie where officer Olson, um, for anyone who doesn't know, that's my real last name, uh, goes and interviews this guy who's sweeping the slush off his street. <laughs> and that the way that interaction happens is so real and so funny. And it's absolutely one of my, it's probably, it's my favorite scene in the movie. And it's one of my favorite scenes of all time, period. <laughs> She's going to turn cold tomorrow. Yeah. Front coming in. You got that right. <laughs> it's just perfect. I think and you can't see like half his face because it's shot in profile and he's got his hood up and everything. Yep. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, yeah. He, and he's sweeping the slush. Yep. Yeah, Which is not, what, what we do. Because. I don't know. Everybody <laughs> has those big brooms and yeah. you just sweep the, it's not really, you can't shovel it really. Cause it's partly water. Yeah. So you have to sweep it off. It's, That's true. That's yeah, true. it's okay. weird. And the funny thing is Fargo is not in Minnesota. Fargo's in North Dakota. But, right. But most of the movie takes place. Yeah. Yeah. What's in Embers? It's like a Perkins. Do you know what Perkins is or Cracker Barrel? <laughs> gonna, we'd be dialing yeah. this back a minute. Uh, local chain, a family run restaurants with like a breakfast, lunch, and dinner, great big thick menu. Exactly. Yep. 
Gotcha. Family run Denny's. It's a Denny's. It's there totally a Denny's. Right, it's exactly gotcha. what it is. Denver's. Yep. Okay. Um, so somewhere deep in the archives, I'm sure I could probably link to it if people are curious. There is actually an episode of this show where you and I talk about um, Fargo at great length. Obviously, the Coen brothers being from Minnesota, like they were able to figure out like which Minnesota parts would really um, flicker, you know, brightest for anybody who was who, who calls that home. Um, you're born and raised there, uh, you, uh, obviously. Yep. Yeah. So, there, you know, there, there's it's, it's kind of like it's kind of the Minnesota movie. It, yeah, I think it is. Absolutely. Yeah. On Letterboxd, I have a list of a bunch of Minnesota movies. There's a whole bunch of movies that have been made here, but that one is absolutely the quintessential Minnesota movie. Yeah. I remember on that same podcast, you were talking about uh, her father mentions going to see like a lone bank, a bank, a, a loan banker, like a, a, uh, a yeah. old Bill deal. And, old how that Bill was deal. A real, and how that was yeah. a real guy. Like, I think I always thought that that was just something that they made up, but you're like, no, that was a guy back in, back when we were kids yep. he, and he had like commercials on or something. He'd be who you'd go to see if you needed money. Yep. Oh yeah, man. absolutely. And yeah. the movie's chock full of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. No. So. I mean, yeah. That, that, I mean, you're right. Like the question is open to interpretation because it could be anything from like an industry that somebody grew up around to like the, the, the city itself or, or what, or like you said, or, a movie that you used to watch at home. But yeah, if, if, if we're talking about home being a city and in this case, the city being Minneapolis, yeah, that's, that's not, that is not hard to understand why. So great answer. Um, <laughs> keeping in mind that it's uh, only about a 90 minute show. Andrew James, what is the random movie quote that you use often? It comes up more than you would think. I totally whenever, yeah. Whatever I'm looking for something, I'll be like digging around looking for somebody and something, somebody will say, what are you looking for? And I'll say whatever it is that I'm looking for this thing. And they'll say, what are you looking for? And I'll say my little black medical book. It's like a textbook <laughs> that they give to nurses. And if I'm at the office digging through a file, what are you looking for? Oh, I'm looking for a display port cable. What are you looking for? My little black medical book. <laughs> <laughs> from pulp fiction right it's, it's super weird and super random and it it always comes up so i just say it <laughs> does anybody ever get it i don't i would get I don't, that that's the thing is that i like like you and i are kind of cut from the same cloth so i would totally catch the line and yeah. again just because this is only the third time this question has come up we are being clear here like there are random movie lines and there are quotes right quotes are the kinds of things that you see like etched into the wall of your movie theater or like, you know, in a montage on the Oscars, random movie lines are those little isms that somebody else who's seen the movie would probably catch. Yeah. No, not many people get that. Oh, you you would Kurt, yeah. Kurt would for yeah. sure. But that, I kind of like that too. I always, I always like to chuckle to myself when I say it. Cause yeah. I, <laughs> it's entertaining. You gotta love the little things, right? Otherwise, exactly. No, I, uh, I I like that I mean, one. That would that would definitely get a laugh of, out of me. Lots of Lebowski quotes come out of my mouth too. Oh yeah, so, Any, yeah anyone in particular? Kurt, oh yeah, no, no. Kurt and I will have a full conversation just in Lebowski quotes sometimes. So <laughs> obviously, you are not a golfer. <laughs> At least I'm um, housebroken. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. Thank you for that. All right, what is your all-time favorite twist ending? 
atonement. That is a fascinating answer. Why that one? I can only think of two like twist endings that had my mouth just drop open in the theater. One I won't say. Somebody else can have that one. Sure. And then this one. Um, I mean, uh, the, the nature of this question is a spoiler. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Just go ahead. That's, a, that's why, yeah, that's why we got the gong. If people gone. hadn't, yeah, if people hadn't heard it, then. You know, spoilers for a fifteen-year-old movie. Now, go ahead. Um, it it just it's so it's so devastating. That's that um, that twist because the the story's being told from Shersha Ronan's point of view as an old woman, and she's retelling the story, and the and she tells it, and kind of everything is okay, and then at the very end, she reveals that none of that actually happened. It so I, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but so-and-so actually died they split up it just everything was horrible and it's all my fault and i it just killed me at the time in the theater i remember going ah um so maybe favorite isn't the the right word but it's not one that you it's not one that you expect like the structure of that film and i mean the structure of that film there is already a lot of really heavy stuff that happens in that film which by the way i watched it again uh, two or three weeks ago and that cast just goes and goes and goes now like you didn't realize half of who these people were at the time but i mean like cumberbatch is one of the is one of the people in that movie matthew good is in that movie juno temple who a lot of people might recognize now from ted lasso she's the she's the cousin who like gets married there's a lot of people like further down the line in that in that film you're watching Way before Christopher Nolan decided to tell Dunkirk, you watch like this absolute insanity of a scene on the beach with like them shooting horses and singing songs in this long, glorious one take. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you see when when Bryony grows up a little bit and she becomes a nurse, you see her talking to one of the soldiers who's there and like his head wound is just brutal. Like you don't expect this kind of darkness in a prestige film. And then just, yeah, when you get to the end of it and you're like, okay, so we're all right now. And she grew up and she became an author and that's great. And then, yeah, she has this interview right at the end where it's like, I screwed up big. I did something really selfish as a child and it had huge repercussions because I thought I knew something I didn't know. Uh, and, and then it's just good night, everybody. Like it ends and just kind of drops you into the cold water and sends you home. Right. Cause doesn't she, she's telling the story of what she wrote in the book, yeah. but then she reveals what actually happened is not what she wrote mm-hmm. in the book. If mm-hmm. I remember right. And that's what hits the audience. Yeah. It is her, yeah. it is literally her atonement is that she feels so guilty for what she did to these people's lives that she wrote a life where they had something different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. And yeah. It's that movie is aged very very well um it, like that was a good year for movies in general 2007 that's one that kind of was in the middle of the mix and the, yeah it that if people haven't seen atonement in a hot minute check it out because it's really good it's really hot um it's <laughs> it's, it's it's a really really good film that that's that's got a lot going on for it and yeah including an incredible ending great answer not one that i expected at all good work all right finally i'm in no rush at all as ne- neither should you be but when you gotta go what movie death would you choose to be your demise? Well, I hate to 
use an answer from a previous question in a previous episode, another same movie. But I decided if I'm going to go out, A, it's got to be relatively painless, number one. B, uh, I got to do it saving the world. Um, and three, uh, I got to have a cool line as I go okay. out. I, well, I, I know where this is going already, don't I? That's <laughs> it's debatable. But uh, yeah, Randy Quaid taking out the taking out one of the motherships <laughs> <laughs> after the whole after everybody else is out of missiles. All right, you alien assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's it it uh, uh, yes okay. First of all, yeah, yeah yeah that that would be amazing. Like you are absolutely going out in a blaze of glory. Uh, that would be that would, that would you'd be done before you even knew it. Yep. Um, that's, that's incredible. Um, yeah, you get to die a hero. Big explosions going off. Everybody knows I'm the hero that saved the, saved the planet, taught everybody how to, how to shoot down the ships. Yeah. Um, yeah. and in the, in the deleted scene or the original ending, he shows up in his biplane. I think it's on the DVD. There's a what? cut of it. Yeah. He, and cause they wouldn't let him fly cause he was drunk or whatever. So okay. he goes and he gets his biplane and he straps a couple missiles onto the bottom and he flies that into the mothership. I mean, that's even better. I know. I don't know why they took that out, but oh. maybe just a little too unbelievable for this otherwise completely believable movie. <laughs> that was the bridge too far. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> I th- I'm pretty sure that's on the DVD. If you want to, you know, it looks a little shoddy. This, the, yeah, yeah. the effects weren't finished or whatever, but I gotta, anyway, I gotta go. It. I gotta go looking for that. No, that that's yeah. that. Yeah. Like you said, like die hero instantly get a cool line at the end. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. That's a great one. Good work. All right. There's uh there's more about Andrew James. Uh, I will sometime or another, write a ninth round of questions and we'll bring him back. Hopefully this time it doesn't take me three years. And uh, we have a movie to talk about for the uh, for the second time. We are going to talk about a Steven Soderbergh movie, which is uh, that's always a mixed bag, depending on uh, which version of Soderbergh you get. We are going to talk about Kimmy right after this. So come on back. directed by steven soderbergh it's written by david kapp it stars zoe kravitz and then a whole bunch of other people who randomly show up that are neither here nor there kimmy is set now like really now in our presence in our reality where the pandemic is a thing social distancing persists and visual workplaces are in full force the titular kimmy is a siri slash alexa-esque piece of tech that has been put out into the marketplace to great success with the company that designed it on the precipice of going public One of the employees of said company is Angela, that's Zoe Kravitz, and it is her job to monitor incoming data streams that the device records and make corrections to its interface. During the course of her work, Angela happens upon something shocking, leading her to tumble down a rabbit hole to learn more about this mysterious discovery and learn just who she can trust. It's challenging for a feature film to feel like it is made for a moment. 
The medium itself is a long process, making immediacy difficult to achieve in anything less than several months. And times change so quickly now with public perceptions changing from month to month when they used to change from year to year. With this in mind, we have Kimmy, a distinctly pandemic movie that in many ways feels present, but in other ways feels a little stale. So pop quiz hotshot, is this a movie of its moment or did the moment pass? Well, it's definitely a movie of its moment, but that's not to say that it's not going to age well. I'm of the opinion that even though there's all people are wearing masks and she mentions COVID by name at one point, and there's you know there's other things that are going on because this because the pandemic is so it's not just this splash in the bucket now like this is a thing that's been going on for two years it's changed everything globally. Um, I think some of this stuff might be around forever, but if somebody were to watch this movie 30 years from now. I don't think they're going to look at it and go, oh, that's aged not well, or that's weird. I think it'll just be, oh, yeah, this was, this was, it would be like watching a movie maybe just right after World War II or, or, you know, before the, I don't know, I, I'm trying to think of a, an example. But my point is, I just, I think people will look at it for the time that it was in and not judge it for that, judge it poorly for that. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how moments in history like this. And I think, you know, you're, you're right. This is something that not a lot of people are really taking into account what it is they're living through. This is something that very few people who are still alive have lived through something, you know, something to this in in North America, anyway, like around the world, you know, there are, global events of catastrophe that happen all over the, like, you know, in the West, we've lived a very happy, privileged little existence, but all over the world, there are things like this that happen, but certainly not on a global scale like this um, in, in a very, very long time. And I think that people have misunderstood exactly what it is we're living through and and the kind of stories that are going to come out of this. And the, like you said, like the things that are going to stick, because some, some stuff is going to, is going to stick around for quite some time, if not forever. Um, that said, I'm not sure that this is the pandemic movie that it wants to be, you know, um, because just because so much has changed in two years, uh, that, that a lot of the things that seemed really interesting and really emblematic of the times at the beginning of all this now don't seem quite as emblematic. But I don't think that this movie is trying to be a pandemic movie. It's almost not really part of the plot. It's just kind of there. Like I, I see people with masks on. And two years ago, if I'd watched a movie and everybody's wearing a mask, that would have weirded me out. But now I almost didn't even, I didn't even register for a minute. You know, like right. oh, it's just totally normal right. now that right. people are wearing masks. That somebody's working from home. That everybody's working from home which we can get into, but I, I, I just, I didn't think that this movie was about COVID. It just happened to be certain elements of COVID and the society that we live in now because of COVID impact things that she does or things that happen to her. Mm-hmm. But the movie is about privacy technology. It's also just a simple little 
dumb thriller that's been yeah. made many, yeah. many times. Like, yeah. We've seen this movie before. Yeah, and that, that was going to be my next question is like, what did you think of this movie? I love it. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was, I was kind of cool on it myself. I, I was enjoying, I enjoyed the first two thirds quite a bit, but then when we get to the final act, I kind of lost interest. But yeah, the fi- back. I, I don't know where we are with spoilers when we're talking here. We got to kind of dance around, right? We are going to go full spoiler because it's you kind of need to like the 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 crux of the story happens early on, and that in itself is kind of a spoiler. Um, you know, something that I skirted around at the beginning is that so Angela, when she's monitoring these clips and she's fixing these instructions that that Kimmy gets wrong. She hears what she what she believes to be the audio of of an assault, and that right there just kind of sends the dominoes falling. That whole first two thirds with her hearing that and deciding what to do and what's the company going to do, and how they like play with her extracting that. I really enjoyed that, and then we get to the last third, and it kind of turns into this Home Alone Skyfall like escape from these guys. That I was like, oh, is that where we're going? All right. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. I The first time I watched it, I enjoyed that. I just, <laughs> when the nail guns come out, and I'm like, yeah, right. this is just straight up lark fun. But rewatch, I rewatched it. Anybody who hasn't seen it, it's on it's on streaming networks. You should be able to get it from yeah. home one way or another. Yeah. Um, rewatching it, when I got to that part, I was like, okay, I've seen this now. All the interesting stuff is in the first two thirds, three quarters. You're right. Um, and I, for me, the filmmaking of, the, of this is especially on second watch when I wasn't having to follow the plot as much and just pay more attention to details. The, the filmmaking is so great. The, all the setup that takes place in the first half hour for payoffs, the way things are shot, the way things are filmed, the way her character is built um, and explained so that it works later on is is mind-blowingly good. Well, not that's exaggerating. It's not mind-blowing. Yeah. It's just really well-made for this kind of movie that we've seen before. I wish I loved it more. A lot of that stuff that you mentioned in the first two acts, um, there's like, I mean, there's a lot of, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a second, but there's a lot of really beautiful use of sound in this movie. Um, it, like, this movie is very, very much about sound um, that this movie does really, really well. Um, even, when she finally leaves her apartment. So Angela is agoraphobic um, and she has anxiety for reasons that we are brought into the light on. And she's been, you know, ever, ever since the pandemic started, she's been sheltering in place. And when she finally goes like her apartment, along with being like a glorious setup, um, she's got complete control over everything. So the a moment arrives where she has to leave. We've seen her try to leave once and just fail. A moment comes along where she has to go. And when we get outside, the outside world is shown as chaotic. The like We switch to this handheld camera, which is just... It's not what I love about it is that it's not a shaky camp. Like it would have been really, really easy to do this handheld thing and, and, you know, do the old Paul Greengrass frenetic video. It's more like, it's more like it's swinging. Like it's more like they put it on like a backpack and let the thing swing loose. Like it's this really fluid, but very herky jerky way of capturing the outside world. Those kinds of things I was loving, but the plot, 
at the middle of this, of this thing about like of, of about privacy and about technology, and then ultimately about how that interacts with a very, very serious crime was set up and then for me not paid off. Hmm. Okay. I I mean, first of all, to the point about the, the leaving of the apartment, yeah. it's it's amazing. Oh yeah. Like the way it's shot, the yeah. way she moves, uh, she puts her hood up and then she walks in these really small steps. And you're right. It's not, and it's not just the way the camera moves in that sort of weird, it moves in angles and swings around, but like the walls of the apartment all of a sudden are like zebra stripes. And everywhere she goes, there's things in the frame are, there's like lots of bar, um, like bars and railings and, and just stuff everywhere which is totally opposite of the sort of organic beauty of her apartment or nice smooth incredibly expensive apartment (laughs) um that i just that that was what really popped out to me today too was that scene where she is on the move is is amazing in terms of filmmaking the first maybe third a bunch of it is weird setup stuff um there's construction going on above her that she has to deal with um, there were some other things too, like, uh, like it, it, it just establishes her as a techie person. There's a couple of weird sort of red herrings, I thought. Um, and then you've got the guy in the window across the street. What's he all about? Um, I, further reading segment on this movie, it'll be kind of interesting. I think, okay. um, all these things in that first third, all these little clues moving around that, that set things up that pay, that pay off for me later. Um, like when she's riding her bike in the beginning on her exercise bike and she's listening to the news, there's a, there's a news broadcast about a, a protest going on about the homeless sweep yeah. of the city yeah. that comes, that pays off later yeah. in a super intense scene. I thought I, I love that. Um, so I, I don't know, those, those moments for me were pretty intense and mm-hmm. did, did pay off, but I, I get it if, yeah. if it was just kind of ho-hum action for you at the end. Um, I mean, so I, I, d- I did like Zoe in this movie. Like I, I, I really do like her as an actor and when she shows up and stuff, she's, she hasn't, it's weird. She hasn't had too many chances to really, really show off what she can do. Um, she kind of, she tends to be folded in with a lot of the rest of the group or, or she's, or she kind of picks some weird movies. Um, I really love, like, I'm, you know, we're in a few weeks, we'll get to see her in Batman. Um, I really love her in the TV version of high fidelity for obvious reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought she was great. I, I will admit, I did think she was great in this movie. Yeah. She, she really stands out. And I mean, she pretty much carries the movie. She's in 99, she's in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Like the, the camera's never with her. Or, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. The camera's never not with her. Yeah. So yeah, it's, she's got to carry it. And I think she does really, really spell job. Yeah. Cause she does a lot of great things with trying to embody this anxiety that her character has. Like she, like it's, it's clear that she is absolutely a star at her job like there's nothing about her job that she can't do with a great deal of ease um which i even just love in terms of like at one point she has to send an email to this weird dude in romania who's one of her teammates who is just like 
he seems like he's like an extra of an extra from a Coen Brothers movie. Um, you know, he, he likes to call her hotness all the time. And she's like, dude, that's just like not at all appropriate. He's like, ah, it's Romania. Me too is 10 years away. Uh, <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. But like yep. when she has to send the email to him, you just hear her like typeity typeity type with one hand and she's like, all right, you got it. Like, you know, like it's just like, like you see that kind of thing where it's like, I can, do all these tasks at once and tend to them and that kind of thing. So it's clear that professionally she's just a rock star, but she's got all of this noise in her head that this global situation is not at all helping. And she puts all of that into her character in these beautiful ways. Yeah. And her character, and this is also a testament to the performance too. Her character spends maybe the majority of her interactions are via the computer, which yeah. is also part of the last two years, like yeah. what we're doing right now. Um, but, but whether it's with her therapist or her mother or the guy in Romania or her dentist, like every interaction she has is either through the computer or across a, across the street yeah. with a cell phone. Yeah. Um, and so as a, somebody who's agoraphobic, um, and and maybe a total introvert. Uh, that's not helping the situation at all. Um, right. So there's another there's another instance of where I guess COVID comes into play. In fact, she mentions that she's like, eh, my agoraphobia isn't exactly help. The COVID's not helping that. Right. Um, I think she says to her therapist. Uh, so yeah, I mean, she is total professional, but she's able to hide a lot of her insecurities i think just because it's via a computer yeah so the way we, she fakes the hang up yeah. or the, the loss of connection yeah yeah i do love that that's great that that is beautiful um and then yeah when we see her go outside and we see like i mean one of these little touches that i love uh because i don't think i'd ever actually seen it and i'm sure either she saw somebody do it or maybe for all i know it's how zoe does it every time she takes the Purell to her hands uh, and, and like yeah. rubs it in. She does this yeah. little wavy thing to dry them. And totally. it's, um, and she, ne- she always does it. And I'm like, well, one, I don't think I've seen anybody else do that. Now I kind of want to do that, even though I'm not using <laughs> the Purell near as much. Cause we figured out it wasn't our hands that were the problem. Um, but I just, I, yeah, it's that little thing where we can see her like an OCD kick into her character and and yeah when we see her walk and we see her kind of keep her client her hands close to her body she keeps her head kind of down she's usually very close to the wall like all these kinds of things that are very much the opposite of what we know of zoe kravitz who is this really put together presence right like i mean she's about to be bloody Catwoman, right you know so just to take somebody who burns that brightly and say you need to embody somebody who has all of this going on and externalize this internalized struggle go yeah watching her do that was that was a reason alone to enjoy the film yeah and i hope it is kind of ends up being her breakout like so she'll be great in batman i'm sure i the she was in uh big little lies that hbo show oh, i loved her in big little lies was, yeah but like you said, that was she was a lesser character in an ensemble there. Yeah. But she was great in it. So I'm yeah. kind of hoping this is the thing that just like now we're going to see her every every year in something and yeah. not just on the side. Yeah. No, me so, too. This uh, this movie it uh, like we were kind of touching on it already. So you bring up the um, 
the two kind of core tools in this movie is privacy and tech and definitely the use of sound. I loved it. Number one, I, there was sort of a revelation to me. I guess I've always, I figured this was the case, but um, the fact that there's somebody like an actual person going through all the streams that were like missed or whatever. Right. And my sister works for a company. She has sort of a similar job, but it isn't, it isn't that privacy invasive as this one is. If you want to call it that. I mean, I, Personally, if, if this is the way it's done, I don't really have a problem with it. But um, but I could see a larger discussion coming out of this about about privacy and what what Kimmy is listening to. Yeah, um, I I know for a fact my Alexa hears me say things that I have never asked it because I'll see ads pop up for something I just have been randomly talking about with my wife. And I go, I've never Googled that. I've never asked Alexa for it, but all of a sudden this is this trip to Valley fair that I want to take is showing up (laughs) randomly. I just don't trust it. Um, but, but so I think there's a larger discussion and reminded me of, uh, also the scene in us where there's a home invasion and the girl says, uh, Computer, call, call, call the police. Call the pol- yeah, yeah. Um, computer, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing that they they do in this movie is they tell it to shut off for a minute while yeah. they talk about it. I, that's a nice little detail. I did enjoy that. Um, yeah, like I mean, I also one of the things I loved is that I love that Kimmy's response is "I'm here" because it's it's it, it's got levels, right? Like on the one hand, it's a great little response, but on the other hand, it's it's playing on this little comfort factor of how can what response can we give to the user that will make them seem like somebody is with them like here's this person who has shut off the outside world what could kimmy say that would be reassuring yeah you know and not too creepy no but yeah a friend yeah a friend that's in the room yeah. who happens to be listening when you don't necessarily want exactly. to be listening yeah but back to your your question about the sound I, I i found all that fascinating like all of the streams we get to hear little things somebody's mad because it's not playing the taylor swift song right one there's one like 10 year old kid that's just messing with it calling calling her a douchebag or whatever and um i those were all believable things to me totally i I love that yeah Um, well the other thing i love is that when we the 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 attention to the sound design in this movie is to the extreme that every time angela puts on her headphones the outside world stops. Like you can hear this ambient white room tone of like cars and like the vents and, you know, like the electricity kind of buzzing or whatever. And the second that, you know, it's, it's an audio medium. So people can't see what I'm doing, but you can, she takes her cans and she goes like thump and puts them in place. The entire audio just drops Mm. to noise cancel. Right. Um, Which I mean, when I just did that, I could actually even hear the difference. So it's kind of cool. But I love that that's in it. Like, I love that that kind of attention to what the character is experiencing is part of this film. Now, people might not recognize that quite as much because they're watching it on their phones or they're watching it on their laptops or whatever in a theater, you would notice this for sure. I've got a pretty good sound setup, so I'm noticing it, but I love that that kind of thing is in there or like the buzz from upstairs, like that whole way of using sound to convey both 
um, you know, other presence and isolation. Yeah. And it's very immersive for the viewer, for us, Mm -hmm. whenever she does that, I definitely noticed that. Um, and, and when you mentioned like the, the construction upstairs, like we hear it too, and it's super annoying and it's just as she puts her headphones on. So it uses sound that way. And to, to go back to when she leaves the apartment, I forgot there's, there's all the city sound stuff, but there's also the soundtrack there, which is, it's all these like, it's musical, but it's, it's all these like chimes mm-hmm. and like, it's kind of annoying too. It's all, um, um, it's all Cliff Martinez. It's all the, the, the drive guy. I mean, he's, he's worked with Soderbergh before. Like I think he did, um, <laughs> he did contagion. That would be a great double feature with this movie. I don't know why I didn't think of that already. Uh, but he did contagion. I think he did uh, side effects. He's most like most known for doing drive. Um, yeah, that's all him. Okay. Yeah. And that helps convey that sense of insanity or whatever she's feeling as she's yeah. out there, overwhelming panic attack, sort of, uh-huh. that's all part of it. Um, but yeah, I don't, you, you know what like ASMR is oh, the, yeah. or whatever it's called. Yeah. I mean, when she puts her headphones on and starts fiddling with dials, you get a lot of that too. Like the streams that she's listening to and every little click that she does is very, is amplified too. So we're really getting into the world that she's listening to. Yeah. And yeah. It's great. So, you know, eventually we get to this point where she's got this, she's got this clip. She dials into this clip and extracts the actual core audio. Cause she thinks she hears something and then she's got to like go back and like mess with the levels. And she, now she's pretty sure she hears something, but she's really got to go into it and dig. And so she gets out this really big, like audio deck and you know, it's, it's like audiophile porn. She's plugging <laughs> yeah, <laughs> plugs into sockets and it's a big rig. And it's clear that she hears an assault at that point. That's when the movie like gets into its crux that this crime has taken place. This device has caught it. And now she needs to decide what to do with it. I like this idea, even though we've seen it a bunch of times, I do like this idea, but I wasn't sure if I liked where the movie went with it. She takes it to like a higher up and the higher up tells her, come on in and we're going to do the right thing. And then, you know, kind of like it goes out in the real world, pulls the rug out from under her. That was like, after she has that meeting with Rita Wilson, when Rita Wilson leaves the meeting and that's the thing that for me, like at that point onward was where I start, it started to lose me. Cause I'm like, you have just set up something really, really serious and then turned it into something schlocky. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it depends on how you want to look at it. it I, I you're right, and I think there's probably there's probably a plot hole in there too, or some straining of credulity. Um, but so it depends on how you look at it. Is it is it just is it schlocky, or is it just capital E entertainment? And you, yeah, you you're you're on board for it, and you go with it. And I was on board with it, and I went for it, and I love it. But I, I guess I can kind of see, yeah, the way you've set this up, this doesn't really make sense that ultimately what the crime is, that Rita Wilson's character wouldn't be, would be in on it, sort of. And like, it's this, I think it's a bigger cover up than it probably should be, or more people are in on it than probably should be. Um, that, that whole sequence of them sitting in the office 
is so it's kind of cliche mm-hmm. and kind of rote. So yeah, I get it. But I at, by by that point I was on board. Yeah, yeah. So it didn't didn't totally bother me. But yeah, I get it. I mean, the interesting thing is the movie goes out of its way to talk about how much money this company is about to make and where, like where they are in terms of their business, how much the guy who's involved with the crime personally stands to make. So like the, the movie really goes out of its way to say, this is a financial decision. And I mean, I can sit, we can sit here and say that this seems weird, but we've watched some companies make some very strange decisions because it would affect their bottom line. To put a spin on it, like there is a very big controversy happening with a, with an audio platform that comes down to the fact that one contract is worth $200 million. You know, that's, that's the thing. Like we want to believe that a lot of these companies would do the right thing. But at the end of the day, it's like when it's a business, when there's money in play and it's more money than the average person ever sees, it's hard to really count on somebody to do the moral thing and not the thing that's going to make them the most money. That is very, very true. It just depends on how many of those people, like the more people that know about this and the more people that find out, the harder it's going to be to cover up. Yeah. And that's why I'm wondering, like, how how high is the Rita Wilson character? Is she just one step down from the guy who? I mean, she's on the third floor, so I don't know. You know I don't know, yeah, like, how many how many people did this trickle down to before it gets to her? Before, uh, so I don't know. I that's just a maybe a plot question, yeah, or a nitpick, yeah. So, but I totally agree that this is not. It's absolutely believable that a company would cover something like this up. Yeah. Um, to protect its bottom line. The one other thing that this movie kind of taps on, but it doesn't really get into, and I don't even know that it necessarily needed to do it, is this movie kind of pays passing attention to online fakeness. Um, you know, like uh, we, we learned that Angela's Instagram feed is a crock of shit. We watch in the opening, the, the vice, like one of the co-presidents of this company does a zoom call with a, with an interview. And we see him in a suit from the waist up and his pajamas from the waist down in front of a bookcase that's in his basement to look like a, you know, really posh office. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where I come back to saying like, this movie is going to seem dated because I feel like that whole conversation was very three years ago you know, in terms of online fakeness and what is happening outside the window to on, on top of the fact that this movie never really pays that off. No, it does that. You're right. It just, it's sort of a passing commentary. Um, I don't know that I totally agree that it's so three years ago. I it, maybe, but didn't, wasn't it just like a couple months ago that that one guy, he was in the middle of a meat board meeting it was like a big thing and he stood up for a second or his laptop fell down and he wasn't wearing pants. I thought that was last year. It was, I, yeah, maybe it was I longer mean, ago. It's there. February. So really <laughs> you're, you, could, my, you could, yeah. My point is when I'm at the office, I don't, I wear pants, but they're sweatpants right. or I'm wearing my like pajama pants or whatever. And up here I have a collared shirt on. Right. So I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. Um, so I, maybe, also, it might have been just a spot of humor for Soderbergh. There were a few moments in this 
that were pretty funny when she's oh, yeah. talking to the one guy and the kids are in the background and if you don't shut the hell up i'm gonna take everything you love and put it in the garbage can like just outlandish yeah. um there were a couple lebowski references i caught that were pretty kind of funny to me um so maybe it's just a bit a bit of humor when he comes out with no pants on yeah so i, I don't know i don't know how too seriously you're supposed to take it we're both people who enjoy the work of Steven Soderbergh as a director. Um, the landscape of his films is really, really interesting because he has some absolute masterpieces and he has some really interesting garbage. Um, yeah. Where, like, where, where does this kind of, where does this pull from for you? Um, for me, it's, I mean, it's in the middle somewhere in mm-hmm. terms of you're talking about in terms of his filmography. Yeah, like like where uh, where what kind of what kind of what kind of region are we flying through here? Well, I happen to have all of my Steven Soderbergh films ranked Ooh. on Letterboxd. So Kimmy falls at number twelve out of the twenty six that I've seen. So pretty I'm much sorry, right, 20, pretty much right in the middle, right in the middle, but okay. still still fairly up there. Um, but I like when he just sort of does these like haywire or um love haywire haywire's great side effects i really like yeah yeah and that was just a i mean it had some commentary if i remember right on the pharmaceutical yeah company or whatever but ultimately it was just sort of dial m for murder or like a like a thriller yeah um so i like it when he he does these things he, he seems to make them so effort effortlessly mm-hmm. but if anybody else tried it i i'm not sure that it would that it would work quite as well. Yeah. I mean, I got to give it that is that at the very least in the, if this was in the hands of a lesser director, there would be nothing interesting about it. Um, no, it would be straight to Netflix. Well, I should say, <laughs> kind of straight, to HBO, yeah, yeah. but yeah, it would just be one of those. And- but he, yeah, he tells these stories, even if the story is very cut and dry, he tells it with a certain amount of panache. Um, you know, like you said, like something like side effects, certainly contagion, um, even something like unsane, like unsane is just, yeah. it's okay, but it's, it, it, because he tells it with his kind of visual language in his audio language, it's a lot better. Um, yeah, for me, this is kind of, this is kind of lower middle. Like it's not, it's not the really weird stuff like full frontal and, um, you know, Skitsopolis yeah, or something. it's not, it's or, not yeah. in that basket, but it's, it certainly ain't no traffic. No, right. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, one thing just quickly about the filmmaking too the, the scene where she is listening to where she finally gets the, um, the audio cleared up and she can more or less clearly hear what's going on. Yeah. You see, it's like a double frame or whatever, yeah. not, not, not a split screen, but like overlapping her, yeah. what do you call it? A double negative or whatever. You can see the, the murder happening and the cleanup happening and yeah. everything. Yeah. And I, and I love that it's supposed to be her sort of imagining it. Um, later on when she's getting chased by the two guys, it's the same two guys that were in her like imagination. Oh, uh, that's beginning. a neat touch. So you know that is they show those guys in the beginning. That's another little, like the way that shot is super cool, first of all. And number two, it tells us who the bad guys are facially um, with facial recognition. So we know them later. One little throwaway right. Easter egg that I love is the the woman who is the victim of the crime, a woman named Samantha. Um, she is played by Erica Christensen. 
Yeah, who I was, noticed it right away. Yeah, I went, oh, it's Erica Christensen. Yeah, and my wife who's went, not really had a career, but she was she yeah. was a thing for a hot second when she was in Soderbergh's Traffic. So I love yeah. that he brings back the totally. old, you know, the, the the actors from his old films. I still haven't caught up with what was the one from last year? No way, no sudden move. Yeah, I haven't caught up with that one yet. That might be my next one. It's um, a good one too. That's that's what I hear. Yeah, I, I, that's that's the thing. Like, so for as much as I like, people can probably tell that I'm somewhere on the lower middle of this movie, I got to give it credit that if it wasn't in the hands of a consummate pro, it re- like, it really wouldn't be good. So a lot of the stuff, I, yeah, I might not have even bothered to be yeah, honest, yeah, which is true. not fair. That's not fair, but it's probably true. It's Nobody, Soderbergh. Yeah. It's, I jumped in yeah immediately. it's one of those things that brings you in. Um, can I, let me, can I bring up one more thing? Yeah, before yeah we, totally. Um, well, it's, it's two things, but they relate to each other. Yeah. Let me ask you the toothache. What, why is that there? What is that? Is that just something else for her to deal with? Is like, it feels like a red herring. It's constant. She's calling the dentist. She's constantly holding her cheek going, ow. Um, like I didn't quite. I feel like that's just, I feel like that's there just to get to the level of her anxiety. Like the rest of us, if we had a toothache, we'd go to the dentist. Like we would just, you know, even if we hated going to the dentist, we would just suck it up and go for those few hours and get it done and pay the bill and go on our way. But she is like, no, I am taking such good care of my own mouth so that I don't need to leave this apartment even to go to the dentist. Like I, I think it's there just to really double down on, on, yeah, on how shelter okay. in place she is. That makes sense. Then the other little weird red herring is also in the beginning. She's her boyfriend comes over. She sets down a bottle of like kombucha or whatever on the counter, but it's like almost defying physics on yeah. how close to the edge it is. Yeah. And then like a few minutes later in the movie, it falls over and it's a jump scare. Yeah. That was such a weird like it's such a weird thing. And not only does she put it on the edge, the camera like pans into it. Like this is going to be important later. Remember this. <laughs> and then like five minutes later, it's all it's used for is like a jump scare when it falls over. Yeah. It, that was weird. so weird. I, I didn't hate it. No, I, I, I don't love it. It's yeah. just weird that it, it's there. It's, it was a strange include. Like I would, I expected it to fall like way later. Like I, like I would have expected it to fall when the bad guys get there. Yeah. And that to yeah. be like what sets everything in motion. Also, kombucha sucks. Oh, I love kombucha. No. I'd I'd rather lick a skunk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Maybe cut it with sake, and then maybe you've got Uh, (laughs) a taste sensation. Um, We end every matinee cast with a souvenir. Something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Andrew James, uh, anything from the world of uh, Kimmy? I feel like we're going to have the same answer. Um, The apartment. I thought about that. Um, yeah, that that apartment is. I mean, it's a Seattle apartment, so it really can't be cheap because that's not a cheap city to live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, yeah. If I had to, I spent half of this pandemic sheltering in a six hundred and fifty square foot, one and a half bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. It was not in fun. If I yeah. was, if I was like you know, salt sheltering in place in that apartment that she's in, I probably wouldn't have cared. It's yeah, it's really not. I do that in so many movies though. Like all these kids straight out of college or whatever, just live in some glorious apartment in New York city. And this happens all the time. And I'm always jealous. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
she does make allusions something about her father did the the contracting work or something so yeah but um yeah i her apartment for sure i would love to live there uh we do not have the same answer because uh the one thing that i was that i do enjoy the heck out of uh that i haven't done quite as much just because of uh, access basically um is i want a sandwich from that food truck they linger on that food truck <laughs> and they talk yeah. about how like this is really good egg sandwich. I love yep. food trucks. It's, you know, the, the, the fastest way to get me interested in your menu is serve it from a truck. Um, nice. I, and it's right out our window. Exactly. It's, it's right. Yeah. I would be, I would be there. So much. the first, the first summer of pandemic, we finally started getting an ice cream truck on our street. We'd lived on our street for 13 years and not so much as a guy on a bike. Then we finally get a full blown soft serve, do 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 do, you know, like like normal big ass truck. And after, I want to say about a month, uh, the woman who ran the truck started to recognize me by face and know my order. I was like. <laughs> I'm not sure about my life choices here all of a sudden, you know, and I can just stand in lines like, Oh, Hey, the usual, like, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take that please. Um, Mom, Pop. Yeah. I didn't know ice cream trucks still existed. I haven't seen oh, yeah. them in years. Oh no. They, I mean, up here they totally do, but it depends on the neighborhood. I bet you five, I bet you five bucks. They're more common in Kurt's neighborhood than they are in mine. Um, Cause they're usually more common in the areas where you got to get in your car to go for ice cream, like when it's in a larger subdivision, I live, like I could have gone to the corner store in inside of two blocks. So for the ice cream truck to come to my neighborhood was kind of a waste, but I also lived right next to a sports field. So they were kind of counting on people coming off the Uh, field and going for ice cream right away. So yeah, I, I miss food trucks. I haven't been to nearly as many in the last few years. So seeing this one in Kimmy and knowing they had this good sandwich thing, um, nice. yeah, yeah. I, I I, every time I hear ice cream truck, I just think of the Eddie Murphy bit. Yeah, yeah, me right. too. Yeah. Totally. Watch how I make these kids run. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Andrew James, Steven Soderbergh, Kimmy, what are you giving this thing? I'll give it a four. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. I mean, I'm, uh, yeah. At- I didn't have an emotional attachment yeah, to yeah. it, but on my second watch, I'm just going, God, everything about this is, is I don't have any complaints yeah. about it. So I, yeah, I give it a four. I think I wanted, I'm, 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 I'm way down. I'm at it like a two and a half. I think I wanted more. I know. I think I yeah. wanted more out of it. I think that last act really sullied me on it. Um, the first two thirds are fantastic. Really? Like, it, you know, her performance, the, the crime, uh, the way they they unfold it, all of that is just beautiful. I just wanted a better third act. Um, and I, for I me, think that's fair. Yeah, I yeah. think that's fair. I don't agree. Like yeah. it works for me, yeah, but yeah. I think that's totally fair. I get it. Yeah, why somebody yeah. would say that. Yep. There we go. Uh, you know, maybe you agree with Andrew. Maybe you agree with me. Maybe you think we're both crazy and it's somewhere in the middle. Um, let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca Twitter, where I am matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Kimmy up in Canada? It's on Crave down in the States. It's on HBO Max, so you don't have to leave your apartment or drop any money to see it. We are going to take a very quick break right now and flip the record over to play the other side. So come on back right after this. We're going to talk about some more movies.
We're back. It's Matt and Acast 279. We've been talking about Kimmy. He's Andrew James. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's time for the other side. Further reading, literally in this case, uh, further down the spiral. If you've just come away from the Steven Soderbergh movie and you love it or you hate it. Some themes or some ideas that carry over into other movies um, that would make a good companion piece. Uh, Andrew, why don't you get us started? Where did your brain go to during or after uh, this, this new movie? There's a ton of these somebody finds something that they're not supposed to have and now the government's after them or some corporate there's like there's a ton of these types of movies but um i thought there were like maybe three or four really obvious ones and i i think um in this case the most obvious one for me was uh the palma's blowout yeah that was going to be one of my two so we may as well start yeah yeah i mean it's all about sound and they're not looking for anything in particular. They're 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 out doing something completely different and find something that they don't want to find a crime, a murder, and then try to do the right thing. And then everybody's after them. I mean, it's kind of the same movie <laughs> in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, just not you know like without the without the tech invasion of privacy angle. Blowout. Mm-hmm. I I love that movie. Uh, it's it's interesting because. You know, one of the questions that I bring up uh, when we get three or four deep into Know Your Enemy is a remake that's better than the original. Now, I wouldn't say this movie is necessarily better than the original, but the original in this case being Blow Up by Antonioni um, is, as it stands, like a killer movie. Pardon the pun. An absolutely savage piece of filmmaking that's arty and is also dark and is really cool. And it would not seem like the kind of thing that somebody should try remaking. So when De Palma comes along in the seventies is like, we're going to, we're going to turn this into audio and we're going to turn it really, really slick. And we're really going to Americanize it. Cause we're going to set the whole thing in Philadelphia on the 4th of July. It's like on the surface, this shouldn't work, but it works so well when it comes to blowout partially because we pay such attention to him scrubbing that audio and scrubbing that audio and like really trying to extract what he, what he heard and how he heard it and that kind of thing. I do love that movie a lot and it does make a great pairing with Kimmy. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it was just so obvious that that was clearly, I mean, obviously Soderbergh's seen it, but I, I think anybody that's seen blowout, um, that probably pops into their head while she's fiddling with dials and trying to clean up the audio and everything. Um, I mean, blowout is one of De Palma's masterpieces. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that, that Kimmy is quite on par in terms of like cinema Mm -hmm. uh, as that is, but it's very clearly takes inspiration from it. I do wonder though, how many people nowadays have necessarily seen blowout. Like it's, a little trickier to find it's I, I know there's a really nice criterion copy of it but i don't know if it's on demand anywhere as a for instance i don't either um the only reason and i hadn't seen it either and until kurt and i did our our cinecast and we did uh, a De Palma marathon i remember that and that was one of the ones i saw yeah so um, yeah, no, people should see this movie if they haven't seen it. And, and it, like, it does take a little bit of tracking down. Um, I mean, you can find hard copies of it. That's, that's the one thing I always find kind of funny is whenever people are like, Oh, I can't find this movie. I'm like there's hard copies that exist, you know, just, you can, you can buy it or so, 
Yeah, it, it looks like you can rent it like on Apple TV or Google for four bucks. Well, there you it go. is available. Yeah. Sp- yep. Spend a little bit of money on your movies, people. It's 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 a worthwhile investment. Blowout is sure. is is a movie that's it's you know its star is a little bit dimmer now that we're you know whatever we are now forty or fifty years removed from it. Um, but it's it still holds up really great. Uh, and uh, just I, if I remember right, too, it's not. I mean, the film is based around audio, but. I remember it looks really nice too. Oh, yeah. Like it's a pretty film. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it is very, very handsome. Really colorful. It's got that yeah. stylized split screening that the Palma was always notorious for. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely cool. What else you got? I've got one more that I was going to bring up, but you had a few. So what? Are, what's another um, one that you have? Well, I've got these these two kind of go together, sure. and also uh, um, would be the conversation mm. um, starring Gene Hackman, and then of course Enemy of the State by Tony Scott is sort of a, a, a sequel to that. Which is just I haven't thought about in five minutes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. I mean, as far as a piece of entertainment and it's, it's the same thing. It's all about, it's all about audio. Somebody gets a piece of audio or a piece of information and all of a sudden all the wrong people are after them and they don't even, don't even quite understand why. Um, and it's been a long time since I've seen the conversation. But it's 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 a great little thriller with awesome audio. Again, a seventies. He made that movie the same year as he made The Godfather Two. This is the thing that I've never understood about Coppola. The man created four absolute masterpieces in a row with the conversation, the two Godfather movies, and Apocalypse Now. If this was me, I would have hung it up. I would have been like, "I'm done. <laughs> That's it. I'm finished. I have, I I am gonna go." run my vineyard paint and just flood the, the studio with my descendants for the next several years. He's kept trying to make movies and just never come even close to those four grand slams that he hit off the beginning of his career. And I'm like, and now I'm reading stories about him. He's got this one more that he wants to make that's going to be stupid expensive and apparently is some script that's really obtuse that nobody's going to want to see. And I'm like, dude, just go enjoy your wine. Enjoy your retirement. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, the conversation, which is like of those movies, of the two Godfather movies, Apocalypse Now and The Conversation, that's the one that's like known the least. But I think that that's the movie that a lot of people like Blow Up should catch up with because it is a bloody masterpiece. Yeah, it for sure is. And again, it's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah, it's uh Enemy of the State, I mean it's, it's entertaining. I mean, I'm a huge Tony Scott fan. Right. So yes, it, yes, it's entertaining. The Bruckheimer it's movie, Smith. if I remember correct. Oh, what? Isn't it isn't oh. it like produced by Bruckheimer? Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> it, it feels like that. Very crazy frenetic editing. Yeah. Um, a lot of Will Smith running yeah. in a bathrobe yeah. through city streets and yeah. through tunnels and um, jumping off of things. Okay. Uh, but that's a lot of the surveillance stuff is there too. It's all about the invasion of privacy right. in a, in a, you know, kind of a schlocky way, but listening in bugs, um, those ultra, you know, how you can, I don't know what they're called, but you can listen to a conversation that's like, yeah, seven football fields away, as if you're standing right there, like right. that kind of thing. Yeah, um, satellite imagery. It was tracking. Yeah, people, it was, it was really, stuff. really like it really kind of predicted a lot of the world that we were going to get into back in. I think that movie's '98, 
Um, yeah. It really predicted the kind of world we were going to get into. Pre-cell phone. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It's, it's insane. Um, well, one of mine um, is not that old. One of mine is actually only just two years old. Um, it was one of the last films I saw in normal times in a theater. Um, I've been back a few times since all of this started. But I thought about the way the camera, the way the story hangs on Kimmy hangs on her anxiety and hangs on her trying to figure out what to do in the workplace. Did you ever catch up with a movie from two years ago called the assistant? Oh, is that the Julia Garner? Yeah. I, I almost watched it this week. I just <laughs> ran out of time. Um, I really want to, cause I'm a huge fan of her and I've heard good things about this movie. I mean, it's very steady. It's not exactly what I'd call frenetic. Like a lot of the scenes are just really just, you know, sit down and watch, sit down and watch what this woman does. Listen, especially to the way that she has spoken to her boss is this, he's just kind of a presence. He's mm. like, he's never actually on screen, but you hear him. Huh, interesting. Yeah. You hear, you hear his calls, you read his messages, you get the idea of like, what kind of person this is. So watching her kind of dis- like watching her mental math of how to go through the, her career, how to go through this job, what to do. It's mostly all in just a few days. Um, it really reminded me of Kimmy trying to navigate this situation. The The scene that Kimmy has with um, the Rita Wilson character, where she thinks she's sitting down to do the right thing, and the rug gets pulled out from under her. There's a similar scene in the assistant where she goes to HR to talk about this producer. The HR rep that she talks to is played by Matthew McFadden from succession. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he gives you the idea of the kind of weasel he, he, he plays on succession. And it's just that same kind of thing. It's like, you're watching somebody who on paper, this should be what you do to do the right thing, but out in the, out in the corporate world, that is not always how it goes. I think they'd make a good pairing. The assistant is much less glossy and much less frenetic than Kimmy is, but I think they'd make a good pair. Awesome. Homework for me for this weekend, for sure. It's like 88 minutes. It's on Hulu. I don't, I, and I love Julia Garner. Yeah. So, yeah. and I, I think that's interesting that you don't actually ever see. It was, it was kind of crazy because the, like within a few weeks of one another, that movie dropped and the invisible man dropped with Elizabeth Moss. And there was this conversation oh, yeah. about how, you know, the, the evil dominant male presence in both of these movies was somebody who you didn't see. Is invisible. Yeah. I like that. Cause you can put your own face yeah. to the, yeah. you know, everyone, it's like reading a book. Everyone yeah. has a different, idea of what they look like that's cool what's another one you got um okay this one is not thematically connected it's just um it's i would say it's maybe my favorite thing that i watched last year um and it it uses the so the character in kimmy the the bad guy Mm -hmm. the guy uh with no pants Mm -hmm. um his, his his little movie called uh derek i think his name is derek del guadio okay so derek del guadio's in and of itself um, which I think is also on Hulu or it's on one of those streaming platforms. Um, have you heard of this? No. So it's just him. It's a, it's a stage performance. So it's just him up on stage, telling stories, doing some magic tricks, um, interacting with the audience. And every show is always different. It was something that was on Broadway. 
Um, and I, I can't even explain it. You just need to start watching it. And within five minutes, you'll be just hooked on this thing. Huh. Um, and it's weirdly uh, um, I- I emotionally engaging. Like by the end, you may be in tears. Really? Uh, yeah. It's it's, And you don't even know why. I think that's what my letterbox review said. It said, I found this absolutely, completely profound but I have no idea why. Huh. Um, it's 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 very moving. It, it's it gets at the heart of people and humanity. And um, I should actually watch it again. Okay. Only, I, I watched it about a year and a half ago because it was on my top list for 2021 or 2020. <laughs> Time uh, is a flat circle, my friend. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, there's a random yeah. line that I use all the time. Um, yeah. Uh, directed by Frank Oz. So there, like, I mean, there's another name that I don't think about that oh, often. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I mean, that seems really damn interesting. I will definitely. It's give great. That I mean, yeah, if you like, it's just compelling to start with. And then as he goes on, the story just gets more and more personal to not only him, but every single member in, of the audience. It's, it's something to see. I've mm-hmm. never seen anything quite like it. It's, yeah. and I remember a lot of people talking about it too, and everybody going, "I, I, I was absolutely moved by this, uh, but I shouldn't be." <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's, it's, it's great though. And anyway, it's, it's the only other thing I know about this guy. Um, you said you had a book. Yeah, I. I'm only bringing it up because I just finished reading it. I, I don't necessarily recommend it. It's a, it's a lark, um, but it's called breaking gravity. Um, I, I'm definitely not going to recommend it to you. Oh, who's come an on. Avid reader. I just know how much you read. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I just feel like you would think this book is just stupid because yeah. it kind of is, but it's about a kid who invents um, kind of by accident, this anti-gravity, um, machine, which uh, with simple household tools, you can um, the the easiest thing is you can make finally you can make the skateboard from Back to the Future too. But it also has implications of like getting things into space with almost no energy okay. or um, flying cars, limitless amounts of energy. Um, once it's shown that that is real and that works, um, it's clearly worth trillions of dollars to whoever whatever company owns that or whoever owns the patent on it so obviously corporations kind of go after him and it turns into kind of a chase movie where he has to get away from the government uh that's a good question i don't know okay you have to check goodreads it's called breaking gravity i will look it up it will be in the show notes i'm always interested like Listen, I can't read all of the same thing over and over again. I need to vary up authors, styles, genres. Otherwise, by the time I get to the fourth or fifth in a row of the same type, uh, it's just all <clears throat> blending in Cobbledy my head. Book. Well, That's it. I think the one other one that came to mind is a TV show. And I swear now I can't remember when it was. I don't think it was last year. I want to say it was the year before. Uh, but it was a show on FX and it was a show by Alex Garland, who I love. Uh, did you watch devs? Yes. This really, yeah, this really had a devs 
feel to it in terms of the technology that's been built. Like the technology in devs is so much further ahead of what a Kimi device is. Like a Kimi is something tactile in our reality. It is. It, does, it takes no mental gymnastics to imagine a Kimi. The tech in devs is, you know, just something that's almost unfathomable. But the structure of somebody finding something that they didn't find and what happened to them and how it happened to them and what the company wants to do to kind of keep their ducks in a row. Um, I think that's, that's the thing is I loved spending eight hours with devs. And, and I think, you know, even with the home alone ending in Kimmy, I wanted a little more, like it's a, it's a, just shy of two hour movie, like it's a hundred and it's 115 minutes thereabouts. I would have loved a few more hours in this world with this woman in her apartment, you know, with this, with this crime. And I think that devs does it so much better. Yeah. Devs. I mean, we could ha- sit and talk about devs for like two hours. Yeah. The lengths that the company will, in terms of like secrets yeah. and st- what needs to be held, non-disclosure agreements, all yeah. that kind of thing, sort of is in the same realm as Kimmy. And what's interesting about, well, don't want to spoil devs, but there's some wrinkles on being able to keep secrets yeah. when they know what they know. Yeah. So, um, it's and the, the philosophy in devs goes a lot deeper too than something like Kimmy like it just you just have to wrap every episode you're kind of trying to wrap your mind around what's going on the the deeper you get into it oh totally Alex Garland has a new movie coming out too um that I was really excited to hear about (gasps) it's called Men oh I don't know that uh, oh oh I was doubly excited because it's an Alex Garland movie it's coming out this year it's called Men and it stars Jesse Buckley so it's like, oh, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's and I, I, I want to say just for one more, uh, you know, one more little, uh, stamp of approval. It's on a twenty-four. Oh, so yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a no-brainer. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I just because you brought up devs just quickly for sure. further, further reading. <laughs> right now on Apple on Apple TV, there's a show with Adam Scott called Severance. I've heard this is good. It's very much in that same you got to wrap your head around this corporate secret thing. Nice. Um, very high tech, very, it's, it's really similar to devs. Oh, cool. So cool. There check it out. It's, lots it's of good. Pe- yeah. Lots of homework for people who uh, <laughs> come away from uh, Kimmy, um, either come away from a cool or come away from it excited. Lots more to, to dig into. And that is episode 279 of the matinee cast. I am so thankful that Andrew James was able to come by. Come on back on Monday, March 14th for episode 280. Not sure what we're going to discuss yet. We might talk about Cyrano. We'll see how that goes. Um, I'm open to suggestions. We're into that weird moment where some stuff is on demand and some stuff is in theaters and navigating new movies for this show is going to get a little tricky. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. What's your letterbox? Andrew underscore James. Very good. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them in all the old familiar places, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Apple, Stitcher Radio. Uh, there's some other ones. Tune in, Radio Public, CastBox, and Podchaser. 
Everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. And if you are using a podcast platform of choice that my show is not on, let me know. I'll put it there. It's real simple. Feedback on Kimmy can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca. Uh, on Twitter, I'm there. Um, th- there's always a matinee underscore CA. And uh, Facebook, of course. Facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Andrew James? Not a thing. All right. For Andrew, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.